Welcome to Descriptive, a podcast about JavaScript and other things. I'm your host, Khalil, and this is episode 9. What comes out of the box will be dependable. Today's guest is Elise Huard. She is a speaker and a programmer, and her Twitter bio just says, fish inversely proportioned to pond. Welcome to the show, Elise. Uh, thanks, Khalil. Thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure. So what, what does that uh, sentence in your Twitter bio mean? Um, well, um, I, I, guess, I guess you know the phrase, uh, big fish in a small pond and a small fish in a big pond. Yeah. Like, um, um, I guess we, we've all had the experience maybe that we were maybe smart in high school but then you go to college and then you meet really smart people and then you feel a little bit stupider mm -hmm. and and the internet really helps with that because <laughs> because then you're in touch with the, the smartest people on the planet and 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 so basically then you're you feel like a really small fish that's basically that's basically uh, what my twitter is about ah cool interesting uh so how did you get started with programming um well, I came to it fairly late. Um, I guess, uh, well, I did a bit of tinkering when I was 12 with a like, logo on an, an Apple IIc of mm. my father's. Uh, but uh, really programming, I guess I, I learned that in, uh, in, uh, in, in college, um, where, uh, funnily enough, uh, it was, it was a, a, a sort of toy fictional language and we learn to program the movements of a robot. Uh, I, I, studied, I studied actually something completely different than, uh, than computer science. I, I, I studied uh, material science, which is, um, uh, I guess, a type of engineering, uh, which is about, uh, you know, metals and polymers and uh, composites, mm -hmm. basically all the materials we use and how to, how to produce them. Oh. And uh, and so we learned programming as um, as something that an engineer should know about, but not necessarily should do. And and so I really really learned programming, I guess, um, after my studies on the job, uh, in my first job. Oh, so what was that? Uh, it, it was actually uh, utterly unromantic. It was um, uh, a, a company that created uh, software for banks. Mm -hmm. um, so um, actually it, it's not the worst place I think to learn to program because banks are um, really strict and so uh, right off the bat uh, I learned about uh, version control and release management and um, uh, you know how to basically really control what you're putting on the production servers uh, oh. Because obviously that's really necessary in a bank. You can't really go and make big mistakes with uh, with people's money. Yeah, what was that? What's that language you were using back then? Uh, actually, C and COBOL. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's hardcore. <laughs> cool. Yes. Well, uh, yeah. So I did that for a, a few years, and uh, then I got a bit bored. Uh, I guess I, I picked that job because uh, because I wanted to travel and they offered traveling. Uh, so I, I worked in Scotland for a few years, which ah, was fun. Cool. Um, 
And then after that, I actually took a break. So in Belgium, you have this really great thing where you can take um, a career break of up to a year. Uh, uh, and uh, I did nine months uh, to study um, a master's in AI. Hmm. So, so it, because I, I clearly want, I, I felt that I, I liked programming, but not necessarily what I was doing at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, AI seemed like a, a nice way to uh, to broaden my horizons. And also, I'm a big science fiction fan, so AI sounded really cool. Cool. From that perspective, so I did that. Um, which was really, really nice. And then I uh, uh, changed jobs to um, big consultancy, uh, where I did mostly Java for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't really uh, necessarily AI. Um, and then I became a freelancer uh, for uh, another few years. And that's where actually I started having really interesting projects. Um, uh, I went and had um, jobs with uh, Belgian's media labs, uh, which are usually fun and interesting projects. Um, what is that? Me media? Me uh, media lab. Uh, so it's um, it was uh, the media lab of um, the Dutch public broadcaster. Uh huh. Okay. And uh, so they they actually have a fairly um, a fair amount of freedom to experiment, or they had a fair amount of freedom to experiment uh, with software to, to sort of um, uh, make interesting product, products around uh, their their programs and, and broadcasting in general. Cool. Mm -hmm. So and that was uh, Ruby on Rails mostly. Ah. Um, and after that, I also started a bit of Node.js. Um, so, yeah, yeah Node.js I use a little bit and uh, also had the opportunity to work with, uh, with stuff like uh, RFID tags and, and, and things like that, which, which was fun. What is that again, RFID uh, tags? That's, uh, well, uh, you know, NFC on phones? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, um, RFID is basically a version of that, but... Um, uh, you were, I guess, using specific readers and tags. So the RFID tags themselves are really cheap sort of little uh, chips, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's used a lot in, um, in uh, manufacturing where you, you put them on, on, I guess, boxes in warehouses to sort of, uh, from a distance, sort of, or from a fairly short distance, be able to find out where they're supposed to go and what to do with them. Okay. But, uh, but in this case, it was uh, more for students on a campus to find out uh, what course they should go to and stuff like that. Hmm. So experimenting with, uh, with interesting stuff. Cool. Uh, yeah. So after that, I actually moved to London. Hmm. Uh, so you see quite a lot of uh, story there. Yeah. <laughs> let me know. Let me know when it gets a bit boring. But uh... no, I I wanna I wanna know the whole story. Okay. <laughs> so uh, so I went, went moved to London because I'd met my uh, my now husband. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I wanted to give it a shot, so um, I found a job in London uh, for uh, a company, uh, which was actually really really nice in a way. 
uh, they invented what's called uh, developer anarchy. Okay. Uh, which is um, um, so it's, it's it's a kind of um, I guess I'm not sure what to call it. Um, anyway, it, it's about empowering developer by uh, dev developers by um, putting them in touch with the business, so that um, decisions are actually more end to end. Mm. And uh, forward, the forward, forward group sort of try to um, to put that uh, in in action, and so um, so I had a, a couple of interesting years with them, um, and also had the opportunity to work with their um, startup incubator. Okay. So they um, they incubated um, companies which they thought were interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, or rather, they they um, they funded um, founders who had a really good idea, and they gave them uh, people to work with, so like developers, um, salespeople, stuff like that, uh, in return for obviously a share of the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, and and so I, I participated with 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 that, which was also interesting because uh, I got in touch with like a, a really uh, practical application of uh, what's now called lean, lean startup. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, okay. Which, which, which was nice. Like a really directly sort of formulating hypothesis and testing whether they work in, in the business. Right, right. Cool, that sounds, that sounds really cool. So did you actually help the startups? Uh, or did, you, did, did you at the company then implement the ideas and yes program as well okay yes mm -hmm. yes so um uh, i guess mostly ruby and uh, node.js but at that point at early stage startup it's actually um not very important to have um i mean it's it's important to get started very fast yeah and 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 and, and roll it as you go and so um so technologically, it's, it's maybe not that interesting, but but it has other aspects which are quite exciting. So, yeah, uh, basically implementing those uh, uh, ideas quickly, right? And then yes. testing them early and yes. trying to f trying to see if it fails or not and stuff. Exactly, iterating. Yeah. How long did you do that? For? Uh, that was uh, maybe a year, I think a year. Okay, cool. And then we moved to Berlin. Mm -hmm. So my husband found, found a job uh, with SoundCloud. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. So we moved to Berlin and um, I had my daughter and then started freelancing as soon as I, as I could um, after that. And I, I decided by then to, to, um, to basically start with uh, Haskell. Uh, I've been I've been thinking for years. I want to to really learn a new language, mm -hmm. and I I played with like all the all the fashionable ones. I guess with Erlang, Clojure, uh, a little bit of Scala. I looked at Go, mm -hmm. and um, and eventually I sort of realized that they all looked quite attractive in their own way. But I had to make my choice and and, and sort of stick with it and learn it very well. And that's how I. Uh, I uh, I decided on Haskell. And why? What was the? Uh, because um, well, I, I I sort of figured out by then that it was um, really really completely different from anything I'd done before. Um, mm. 
you know, the pure, purely functional aspects and mm -hmm. uh, all the interesting constructs they use um, in Haskell, um, like monads and things like that to, uh, to work with side effects. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's basically why I, why I went for Haskell. Okay. Uh, at the time, I probably didn't have that, that clear an idea of, of, of what I was doing, but, uh, but uh, I figured out that the only way to really know what you're doing is to learn it. So there we go. So do you, go, do, do you get to work in Haskell as a freelancer now? Uh, yes, yes, yes. I've had a few professional projects. What kind of jobs are those? Well, like what, what do you use Haskell for? Uh, so obviously, um, I can't really speak for, uh, all the Haskellers on the planet, but, um, <laughs> uh, what I've done was so far was fairly varied and interesting. I, um, I did, uh, I, I wrote a parser. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote, uh, um, uh, the server side for, um, SOG.js. So, uh, you know, the Socket.io, you probably know, ah, yeah, mm -hmm. right? Socket.js is something, uh, something similar. Okay. And um, I, I brought a Haskell, Haskell server for that, that talks to the Socket.js client. Okay. And um, I, uh, I did uh, also some uh, web work with uh, Yesot, which is a, a Haskell web framework. Oh, okay, cool. Interesting. So... I really don't know. I really don't know anything about Haskell. So I, I know that it is. Um, I know it exists. I know it uh, is a functional programming language, and that's about it. So I would like to know. Um, basically, just tell me, um, a little in a little bit more detail, what is Haskell? Okay. So, um, okay, uh, so Haskell is strongly typed and purely functional mm -hmm. um, and lazy. So I guess with those, those three, you already have a good start. So um, how to explain? Well, strongly typed, you know what I mean? The, right. the variables have to have, uh, or the variables, actually, the, in this case, they are not variable, but uh, everything has to have a type and functions have a type signature. Mm -hmm. um, purely functional um, in the sense that, um, uh, how to explain that? Um, so fun you probably know that functional means that everything is done with functions mm -hmm. and the, the functions always have to return the same outputs when you give them the same input. Mm -hmm. So they have to be dependable, like that's that's what purely functional means, I think. Although I may be... Wait, so all the functions that you're using have to be dependable on each other or you have to... Or well, can you, the, or do you group them somehow or how does it work? Uh, sure, you can compose them in any way you want. Mm -hmm. But uh, basically everything you do is with, with functions. Right. And functions should always, uh, so for a particular function, it should always give you the same output for a particular set of inputs. 
So there is no internal state that will uh, change the output you receive. Okay. So in, in that in that way, it's it's, it's different from uh, object-oriented uh, programming, since there you have hidden states in your objects, mm -hmm. and changing your hidden state would could change the the return of your methods. Okay. So basically, so does that mean that you, uh, when you define a function, for instance, that you uh that you know by do you know by what you have to by knowing what you have to put in what kind of type comes out or is it defined somehow that you know exactly what the return is or how does this work um so um uh, so a function I'm, I'm not explaining this very well probably a function has a type signature so you 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 um um, actually, what I was talking about has nothing to do with the type. It's it's the fact that um, it's like a, a, a box, and if you feed it uh, a certain input, then what comes out of the box will be dependable. So if you give it a certain input several times, the output will always be the same. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what I mean by purely functional. Mm -hmm. um, the types, in this case, so your, your functions should have a type signature in the sense that usually define um, the, para, the types of the parameters of the function. And you also define the type of the, the return, the, the output of the function. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, now, in saying that, uh, it, ca it can be a bit looser than that because... Um, you can also um, um, you can also say um, that it will receive a type that corresponds to a certain um, a certain uh, set of properties. Like, so for instance, you can say, well, uh, the parameter for this function should be a number. Mm -hmm. But that's still quite vague, so you can feed it uh, an integer, but you can also feed it a float or something else. Okay. So it's not that, it's, it can be looser than just saying, well, this will only take integers. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, that's, that's, that's the types parts. And uh, the fact that it's lazy, mm -hmm. that means that, um, well, things won't be necessarily computed right away. So it will, they will be usually computed um, when you actually uh, need the value. Mm -hmm. um, so for instance, um, say you have an expression in your program. Uh, this will actually not necessarily be... And, and then after that, you have a print statement of that expression. Mm -hmm. Then uh, the expression will only be computed at the moment that you do the print statement. Okay. Because uh, before that, uh, you didn't really need to compute that value. Mm -hmm. So that, that's how it's lazy, uh, literally. The, the program is lazy. It's not, it's not doing it. So, um, uh, yeah. So which, which, which can be really nice, for instance, when doing input-output. So you're reading a file. Mm -hmm. uh, it will literally only process uh, as much as it, as it needs to, and, and the rest won't be stored in memory. You won't store the whole file in memory. You will just work with, say, uh, the first line or something ah. like that. Okay. Yeah. 
and it, it, I guess it also has uh, just uh, performance benefits in general then, right? Because Yeah. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. You won't compute anything you, you won't need to, to start with. Yeah. And uh, secondly... Um, it just it also uses less memory in general then, right? Mostly. Uh, well, yes and no, because in fact, that lazy expression we were talking about that's not getting evaluated is getting stored in a, in a certain way okay. in our memory. It's, it's a, what is called a thunk. is basically an unevaluated expression. So it still stores the, the sort of the, the, the operation that still needs to be uh, evaluated. Okay. Okay, cool. But and but the, the problem is that you you can potentially get uh, in, interesting uh, bugs in the sense that um, say say something doesn't work uh, like I don't know you divide by zero by accident mm -hmm. uh, then potentially that error will only uh, become become visible when you evaluate it which is maybe like you know a hundred lines. Uh, hundred functions later mm -hmm. or whatever so it's, it's it becomes also more interesting to debug sometimes and are there any cases where it would actually be better if it would be evaluated beforehand uh yes 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 absolutely uh, okay. so so for instance um so i haven't mentioned yet uh, uh, but you probably know that i'm writing a book about uh, game programming in haskell no, I didn't know that. I only knew that you had, that you held a talk about it. No, no, no. I'm actually uh, writing a lean pub book. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, I should send you that link. But um, so, um, uh, in, for instance, in cases like that, you don't really want things to um, to be computed at the last possible moment because you you want you want everything to be ready when it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, you can sort of force. Uh, non-laziness. There are data types which are so-called strict, mm -hmm. and uh, they will they will sort of enforce um, um, evaluation. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, when you have and, like and a, very, yeah, sorry. Uh, so when you have a really like a, a, a huge uh, lots of data to compute uh, or something like that or for your game or stuff that needs to be shown on the screen maybe um i guess you want to have that ready beforehand yeah exactly otherwise it would be blocking everything exactly when it's just yeah. trying to do it at this at that moment when you need it on the screen or something like that yes yes okay yes. and and uh, and i've i've heard it say with high performance applications you actually usually want want things strict as well mm -hmm. So it, it can be a performance hit to uh, to not do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Just uh, by default, it's lazy. And then yes. you, can, you can tell it, okay, now I want you to be not lazy. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, interesting. So, yeah, so you've been, so you're writing a book about writing games in Haskell and you also had this, uh, this talk about it. So... Uh, is this is this a typical choice for games, Haskell? I guess no. not, since no, you... not at all. No. no. Okay. No. Uh, so, but you made this choice just because you you wanted to learn the language, or because you like it, or why why did you choose it for games? Um, well, I, I I guess I saw it as a um, a fun way for people to learn Haskell and learn to program games all at the same time. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so. Um, <clears throat> As you said, it's not a typical um, language for games. 
<clears throat> the usual is more um, C++ with Lua maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, or JavaScript on the web, uh, obviously. Right. Um, or, or action script or whatever. But um, but uh, people have been doing it, so I definitely wasn't the first. But okay. even so, it took me a fair amount of time to figure out a good tool set and to find things that worked. Um, but but now actually, um, now I've started looking around, uh, it, it's starting to become a thing. So some, some small game studios are starting to use uh, Haskell for, for games themselves. Okay, does that, does that mean that, that, that uh, Haskell is actually quite suitable for games? Um, or, for sp- specific, or for a specific type of game, maybe? Well, yeah, that, that's a very good question. So um, I think it, is, uh, it compiles to something fairly efficient. Mm-hmm. And um, um, it has good... Um, uh, support for uh, C libraries uh, that are potentially needed. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, and op- good OpenGL bindings, for instance, okay. as well. Um, it so it's it's it, it's uh, and and it, it's also like uh, one of the things I, I didn't say, but I like about Haskell is that it's possible to to write fairly expressive programs. It's 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 actually its syntax is actually getting fairly out of the way. It's not very very heavy in itself, mm-hmm. and um, and so you can you can write nice um, if it, nice nice expressive uh, games I guess, uh, and and expressive means maybe easier to maintain eventually. So mm-hmm. there are definitely points that that are in uh, in Haskell's defense there. Okay. Cool. Uh, so, what was the game that you? What kind of game did you make in Haskell? Um, more a, a small casual game. So, um, um, actually, for for the book, I've started from scratch again and um, and, uh, and 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 uh, wrote a new game. So, in my in my first talk, I had made a small game which was about um, a little alien. Um, going around planets and, and, and trying to resurrect them by uh, by sort of resurrecting plants and, and animals mm. and, um, and and doing that by donating its own life force. So so there was always a balance to be uh, to be reached between uh, giving life and, and, and sort of taking life and huh. and, and, and the things reproducing. But um, but so um, when I started writing my book. Which was um, after the talk, I guess. I uh, I started developing a, a game from from scratch again, and um, and this time it's a, it's a, it's a little a little knight being hunted by a by a monster. Um, so far, but um, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, basically you build it up slowly during the book, and uh, and, and like at a point where I am the the, the knights. Can can sort of shoot crossbow bolts back at the monster, and uh, and, and have all the appropriate things happening. Mm-hmm. So so it's 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 yeah it's it's not like super. Uh, it's not like three D adventure game. Uh, right right. But uh, <clears throat> I think for one person uh, efforts, uh, it's probably better to 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 keep your expectations to uh, to casual games. 
Yeah. I mean, that's enough work already. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've, you've done, you've written games yourself? No, not at all. But, but uh, I mean, I've been, I've been, uh, hearing game developers on podcasts and i mean even the the super casual games that people do for for iphones and stuff like that when, when they talk about what they had to do to develop it or a friend of mine he made a little adventure game with sprites uh, mm -hmm. in javascript basically and on canvas and stuff like that and the stuff that he had to move around and animate and all the stuff it's mm -hmm. uh it's just uh yeah it just to me it seems a lot of work i was not never interested in in creating a game for mm, fair whatever, enough for whatever reason but um i i'm interested in knowing you know what it takes and it seems to be in any case it seems to be a lot of work yeah. yes yeah. yes yes usually you have a uh, you have several people with several roles uh mm -hmm. like like obviously uh assets and everything so mm -hmm. uh you need a design ideally you would need a designer or programmer a friend who makes music and and yeah it's, exactly it's, it's 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 it can be a big effort yeah and also maybe you need somebody who thinks about the story of the game and writes yeah for the game yeah and uh Cause, yeah, because uh, yeah, one of my colleagues, he has basically everything, the whole world set up, the little the little knight walking around and he can even pick up stuff and fight stuff. And it's basically little, uh, what do you call them? Like a RPG, little RPG where mm -hmm. you can, uh, yeah, we can walk around, but there's no story. He doesn't have any story. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's, and it's the only thing missing really, the writing and the story. And it's just a pity that it's just not getting getting made because there's nobody who who has time or who can yeah. do it yeah yeah no i i get that it's it's actually really uh it's it's a lot of work like i think i'm, I'm planning my last last chapter of the book to be um, more about that aspect about um what it potentially would take to make something um compelling something that would get you coming back uh, to it and, and you write a story you know progression of a character a goal mm -hmm. it's definitely a, there's there's it's it's actually really hard i think yeah to, to have it's that. yeah it's it's like its own full-time job or its own like big like thing that you have to learn and kind of yeah look yeah. into yeah. absolutely yeah 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 yeah, but it's uh, super interesting. I also think it's uh, what is also interesting and what's coming more now since since games are also getting more popular, um, especially casual casual games is is that people are trying to come up with more with new premises for games and and um, I mean you know compared to the shoot shoot 'em up stuff and and uh, uh, jump and run like there's uh, there's new ideas which is which is uh, really interesting. I yeah, it, it's amazing. Like, I think it, it's, it's really, um, it can be its own art form. Like, uh, yeah, absolutely. it can go all over the place. Yeah. 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 yeah and it's, uh, yeah. And if it is, it, it's, it's, it's own art form, its own form of entertainment, its own form of t storytelling. Like it's, 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 yeah, it's inter basically interactive storytelling and you can tell any kind of story really. And, uh, and that makes it and also that people are trying to tell other stories than shooting up aliens or something like that it yeah. makes it makes it more viable as an art form makes it interesting for education for kids and makes it 
basically uh you can take it more seriously i think also yes as, yes as yeah. an entertainment form of media i guess and art yeah yeah, yeah there, there are even people who um who use games to um promote uh, social aware awareness of some some things like um i think there was a game about uh, immigration about passports like uh, Ill illegal immigrants and there was a game about uh, transgender people you know like uh, okay. wow. so so it's 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 quite it's quite interesting yeah 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 very, i'm also very impressed i must say by this uh, um and also a little surprised about this um game that's so popular minecraft Ah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and that it's so popular, and all those kids are because it seems I've never played it, but I've I mean I've heard about it all the time, and from what I have seen in YouTube videos and what I've heard is that it's basically a game where you can just create anything, and it's like yes. it's like Legos, and then you have you have a little bit of a of an element where at night monsters come out and you have to hide or something, and mm -hmm. the rest is just building stuff, which is which is uh, it's amazing to me that that, that has become so uh, popular and I think it's yeah. fantastic like, yes it's really an amazing yeah thing yeah it's crazy yeah it's cool yeah it's really nice <clears throat> um, so what is the the tool set that you're using for your game then um, so I'm actually I'm using uh, a nice graphical framework called gloss in haskell mm -hmm. which um which is on top of um, the OpenGL bindings and okay. allows you to draw things in a really nice and functional way mm -hmm. um, and then so that's for uh, graphics uh, for uh, sound i'm using um uh, I guess uh, I don't know how to ALUT uh, Open AL maybe it's a, a framework that uh, that deals with, um, with which is actually uh, capable of doing 3D sound so you can uh, for instance um, like specify speed of sound or things like that so you can actually have really really interesting effects for, for 3D games which I don't use obviously but mm -hmm. It allows you to manipulate sound, which is nice. And then I use um, uh, an FRP framework, fun functional reactive programming, um, mm -hmm. called Elleria. Um, I, I saw in your previous podcast you had uh, someone talking about uh, React.js. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I guess FRP. Um, uh, I mean, Elleria sort of is in the same general family in a way. You, okay. You specify. Um, so, what is the definition yeah. of reactive programming then? You define your. So, it's a way to work with states. Okay. Um, you define your states not as, um, uh, let's say, a big data structure or something. You define it as a set of um, signals over time. Ah. Okay. And then you define the relationship between those signals, mm -hmm. and uh, and and so and and their initial values, and right. and, and and that sort of defines how uh, and and also how they uh, how they interact with external inputs. Mm -hmm. And that's that general definition uh, is enough to to um, 
to run the game. And you basically, so you have, uh, yeah, you have the signals over time, and then in t to get the current state of the program, you have to take those signals and basically add them up, or something like that. Not add them up, but uh, deduct whatever state from the combination of all those signals and that is uh, then the state of the program at the at this moment or well i would say more use all those signals so um to give you an example uh say you have um a little character mm -hmm. uh well its state will be uh i'd say its position maybe mm -hmm. um well then um you have a signal of all the positions over time And uh, then you create uh, a signal for, that represents um, you moving the arrow keys. Okay. And uh, the player signal will um, be defined as, uh, say, in starting position of that little character. Uh, and then a function of uh, the arrow keys. So that with that initial position zero zero, and say uh, your it says that well if your arrow key says well uh, go go right, then maybe it, then the next position on on uh, in the next time iteration will be um, one zero. Mm -hmm. uh, so so you, you define the relationship between that that character's position and the arrow keys signal. Okay. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was clear. Yeah, I think so. That yeah, makes sense. Uh, and, and so, and so um, what, what you actually need in that instance is uh, your character's position because that's what, what you'll have to render. Mm -hmm. right? That's what you have to uh, draw on your, on your, on, on your, in your application. Yeah. And so, and so, what you do is actually loop over that network, and every time you use all the bits of of your state that you need. So uh, you you take the the character's position uh, for your rendering, and and so you extract every time from all the signals you extract the bits that you need to render uh, your 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 what you need to render. And to uh, for potentially to start audio as well if you need. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, so it compi it compiles down to to like a native uh, binary or something like that in the yes, end. Yes. Yes. It, yeah. It, it's yeah. It compiles to uh, to an executable. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Interesting. <clears throat> uh, so what what I'm also wondering is. Um, How does basically code organization in the application work? Do you use in in functional programming? Do you use uh, design patterns? That I think design patterns, the design patterns are kind of they come out of object oriented programming, right? So yes, so the it's it's a different premise. So do you have yeah. do you have other do you have specific design patterns that using functional programming that are different in order to be, stay sane and keep it maintainable and stuff like that? Um, I guess no, not, not exactly the same things, no, no. Um, I guess what, what, you ha what you have is... Um, um, 
you have a, a number of, I guess, uh, structures that can make, or structures is maybe not, not the right term, um, concepts maybe mm -hmm. that are common and, and that you can use if, if they're suited to your program, like, um, uh, but but it, it's it's a bit hard to sort of drop them in there because uh, uh, because it, it will confuse people. But like um, monoids, for instance, uh, uh -huh. is where you define uh, how you can concatenate or accumulate um, um, data structures of a certain certain type, uh -huh. for instance, so that uh, you can you can sort of add or add them together in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, so th there are a certain number of concepts like that that is good to know. And um, as, as you learn more and more Haskell, um, those concepts become more and more familiar and you know how to use them to make things easier in your programs. Uh, but it's really something you have to learn by using them. Mm -hmm. And I guess also, um, so you also keep things uh, relatively easy to reason about. Uh, so this is this is a, this is something that um, I um, how do you call it? Um, this is now a feeling that I have a deduction from what you've say, said and and what I've learned a little bit here and there so is that that in functional pro is it is it true that you would keep uh, so basically it is about composing functions and you can change them or you can compose them in some form and 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 then deal with complicated things by having a lot of smaller Yes. Logical structures, like uh, small functions exactly. that you then compose somehow. And that's how you basically control the complexity. Yes. Okay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's how you create a, a, a clear a clear and maintainable program. Yes. Okay. So, like, yeah, you, you make small and small pure functions that you then compose to, to have your end result. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you, you asked about uh, organization in your program. Mm -hmm. um, you also work with namespaces, uh, I guess. Uh, mm -hmm. We call them modules in Haskell. Okay. Uh, you know, so, so, so there's that as well to organize so you or things. You organize logical parts that belong together in modules, then, and you can have multiple modules? Yes. Okay. And you, you also choose what to expose in those modules. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. So they can talk to each other somehow? Uh, well, you can import a module in, in, your, in, your, in your module. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. I get it. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's a lot of talk and a lot of, um, of articles about fu functional programming in relationship to JavaScript. Okay. Um, I've I, I have not di dived in uh, into that too much, but um, I'm interested in if you are a JavaScript programmer. In your opinion, does it make is it does it make sense to look into functional programming and how can it benefit a JavaScript programmer? Uh, I I think it it sort of makes sense for anyone, but just as one more 
way to see to see your program. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not I'm not like um, I guess I've been around too long to sort of be fanatic of any sort of paradigm myself. Right. I think it's good to 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 have a, a grasp of uh, of several things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's definitely interesting. It it has advantages um, uh, in maintainability. I think uh, the fact that uh, that you have uh, functions that you know uh, always will give the same return for the same input uh, sort of makes them dependable and. and I think it's is the thing everyone is saying, but it's it's actually true. The um, also using immutable states mm -hmm. can be interesting, but the problem with that in JavaScript is that JavaScript is not optimized for that. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in in functional languages, there's usually tricks used in memory so that um, you, when you don't like completely duplicate any structures every time. Uh, that, 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 for instance, if you change only one part of a data structure, then in memory it will actually only store the bit that is different and not and not store the same structure twice. If you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I know. Um, there is actually a library in, that does that in JavaScript. Too. Oh, there is. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think the Facebook people did that. Uh, it's called Immutable JS. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That 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 sounds that sounds reasonable. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I had a conversation about that uh, in another episode of the podcast, and uh, and the guest, uh, I think it was Jameson Dancy, was talking about that too. Okay. Yeah, so, and, uh, that reminds me that because um, I have heard about immutable data in in uh, relationship to Closure Script and and React. Um, there was this guy who did who did this experiment with closure closure script in React and immutable data structures and um, and when I was I was going over your blog archive and was reading the headlines and <laughs> and <laughs> wanted to see what you what you write about and uh, there was one blog post where you that had the headline um, it said why you are not using closure script. I think. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. what? So what is the reason you're not using that? <laughs> yeah, that's a while ago. Yeah, um, it's an older so, one. Yeah. No, uh, so um, yeah, at the time it was um, it was the early days of Closure Script. I don't. I'm not sure whether it's still the case, but um, okay. So I was I was doing a bit of closure at at, at it was at, at forward. I was doing a bit of closure, and I did enjoy that. Um, but. Um, the problem with closure script is that um, uh, at the time uh, it compiled down to something horrible. Okay. And uh, at the time there wasn't a tooling to debug it, uh, let's say in the browser. Okay. So so basically you had once you run it you had to deal with with the the, the mass of generated code, mm -hmm. which was nothing to do with the nice and elegant lispy stuff you you, you wrote in the first place. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I understand that people have been working on it, so it may be completely different. Uh, okay, I understand. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Interesting. Yeah, so... Um, so and uh, functional programming in JavaScript, is there... Can you go... Can you, could, can you theoretically do pure functional programming in JavaScript, or are there any... 
limitations of the language that don't allow to do actually the same thing well, you're doing in Haskell? I, th I think in the browser, you're definitely a little bit stuck in the sense that uh, that you have to work with uh, with the DOM and stuff, which are huge global mutable bits of state. Mm -hmm. And so uh, maybe there's a way to abstract it, but I think with pure pure JavaScript, it's it's probably a little bit difficult. Difficult. Uh, okay. So so any anything like that is a, is a, is a bit of a problem. Um, but uh, but what what I would be tempted to to try um, is potentially like Elm. Or um, you know, there's there's uh, nowadays there's um, there there's like uh, Haskell compiling to JavaScript or whatever language you want compiling to JavaScript. So I, I'd be de definitely tempted to try. Although I, I don't, I'm not sure I would I would I would necessarily stick with them because uh, because like I said, with my closure script experience, uh, it, it sort of depends on what comes out on the other end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Um, well, um, that's it for my questions. I would like to move to the to the picks. So, do you do you have do you have picks? You? Yes. Cool. Yes. I, I even have too many. I should probably scrap one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So let's start with your first one then. Uh, okay. So I guess the first one is a book. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, the Rhesus Chart by Charles Stross, and it's uh, I guess um, I think they called it urban fantasy on Goodreads, uh, but it's um, it's actually really funny. It's um, uh, Charles Stross reads uh, wrote a series called The Laundry Files which is about a secret service um, in the UK, which deals with uh, occult sort of uh, dangers. Uh, so when I say occult, I think of uh, Cthulhu sort of uh, like, like, like dangers, Lovecraft uh, kind of thing. And um, I picked that because I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually a very, I, I guess my, my biggest drug apart from coffee is, is books. Um, uh, fiction books, uh, mostly science fiction, actually, and, and fantasy. Cool. And, uh, and, and so that that's my first pick. Okay, so it was called the Re Rhesus something? What was like, it? The, the Rhesus chart. Okay. Uh, I'll send you the link. Uh, if yeah, you yeah, you, you, yeah, yeah, I need all, all the links for sure. Yes. Uh, okay, so I, so the book, so it is like an occult, I, I for some reason, I, I don't, uh, I didn't get what the book was about now. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so uh, it's um, so. Uh, are you familiar with uh, the Loft Lovecraft's universe? No, absolutely no. 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 So, um, uh, Lovecraft has um, this 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 universe where, uh, say, you have explorers going to find out uh, the mysteries of the universe and what they actually find is uh, monsters so horrible that they make them insane. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it, and it has a very particular dark atmosphere um, that, that is a little bit hopeless to tell you the truth, but um, okay. 
so, so uh, Charles Tross actually uh, riffs on that a little bit, but uh, it, it's it's much more funny. It has a, a comic aspect because there's a lot of bureaucracy involved because it's like a, a British Secret Service. And so there's a lot of lot of paperwork and everything. Uh, okay, okay, I get it. So it's a Secret Service thing, and they and they uh, they have to deal with like uh, dangers like that. Yeah. Yeah, dangers like that. Okay, cool. That sounds interesting. Okay. Um, okay, so so my first pick is. What is my first pick? My first pick is the AppCache Nanny, which is, which is um, basically. So it's something that uh, Gregor Martinus wrote from Hoodie, and it's, it just helps you to, to, to control the app cache. So if you want to make your um, application or your website offline uh, capable, then in order so you don't have to deal with all the pain that app cache is, um, you can use the app cache nanny to control to control your your app cache and 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 the the files that are offline or when something needs to be reloaded and stuff like that this is really really helpful I think because it's uh, it's it's very complicated to deal with the, the app cache so that's yeah. that's my first pick. Cool. What's your second pick? Uh, it's a programming book, so it's a parallel and concurrent programming in Haskell. Mm-hmm. Uh, by Simon Marlowe and uh, I picked that because um, so there's uh, good advice about getting started uh, like learn you some Haskell but uh, actually that's a good next book uh, surprisingly because he also explains some fundamentals which are really really useful to know cool awesome um my next pick is an article by Keith Circle, and that article is about how to use npm as a build tool. Um, I've been I've been working I've tried I've tried all of the all the JavaScript build tools uh, like and work with them like Grunt and Gulp. Uh, well, all, not all of them. I just with Grunt and Gulp. That's it basically, and uh, a little bit with Ember CLI, and I found and and I ended up trying just using npm and the scripts property in npm to to take care of, of just front end build stuff like uh, compiling compiling scss and uh, using browserify and uh, live reload and stuff like that and i found it really it ended up to be really simple and uncomplicated and uh, and I was I started wondering why we have grunt and gulp and stuff like that because it seems suddenly it seems so unnecessary and this article is really good because it t- explains everything like it kind of uh, it sh- it shows you how you can do all the classic kind of tasks that you would want to do with grunt or gulp it shows you how to do it with npm which is which is really informative if somebody wants to uh, get into that or try it out. So that's that. Uh, what is your third one? Uh, it's a gene, as in genetic code. So it's um, the DEC2 gene. 
And what that gene does is if there is a mutation of that gene that allows people to only need uh, very few hours of sleep. Okay. And I wish I had that gene. <laughs> so basically it's a shout out to that gene. Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> That's awesome. This is a gene that has been detected recently. Yes, or something? yes, yes, okay. yes. Interesting. Okay, so there's articles about it. I, I wish I had that gene. Do <laughs> Do you do you have a, a link to that article? Yes, I have. Well, I have a Wikipedia Wikipedia page, but uh, but it's easy to find articles. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's good enough. Uh, so my my third pick is um, it's actually a little dike. What is it? Uh, like an info infographic by uh, the oatmeal. Do you know the oatmeal? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Who doesn't? So uh, it's um. And it's a it's a very helpful little uh, uh, infographic that sh that helps you decide if you should buy a selfie stick or not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, it's very short. <laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil it. I'm just gonna put in the link into the show notes. It's it's uh, I, I thought it was very funny. That's why I'm just uh, I'm choosing that. Okay. Cool. So that's the third one, and uh, so now we're moving on to the to the music pick. Uh, at, uh, unless you want to have you want to have a fourth pick, if you have. no, it's, no, it's it's fine. Okay, so so do you have a music pick? Uh, yes, it's a uh, a Buckeye Jim by Burl Ives. A red bird danced with a green bullfrog. Well, that's what this song says, and it's called Buckeye Jim. Um, how, how do we do this? Um, so basically what I do is like you send me uh, the, the title and the artist and I, I buy it and I work it into the, the podcast. I play a little snippet of it. And, uh, and I just would like to know uh, so what kind of music it is. Can you say something about uh, it? I guess maybe maybe um, maybe it's broadly it's probably um, country and western ah, mm -hmm. broadly. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I like I like a lot of different styles. I'm not I'm not really very specific in general in music. Whatever mm -hmm. floats my boat, really. So. <laughs> So how did you, uh, is it an American uh, artist? Or? Yes, yes. So uh, I found this one on a, on a film soundtrack, actually. Oh, cool. Uh, Way down yonder in a holler log, a red bird danced with a green bullfrog. Buckeye Jim, you can't go, go weave and spin, you can't go, Buckeye Jim. Yeah, so that's that's how we're gonna do it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get it and uh, and work it into the into the podcast. Uh, so my music pick is um, it's electronic music. It is a track by actually a good friend of mine who lives who lives a few uh, streets down from me. Um, it, and um, he is a DJ. He, he's actually uh, quite successful and touring around the world. He just came back from Australia and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, it's so pretty interesting. The, the, the type of music he is doing is called breaks music, which is not extremely popular. Um, and uh, 
uh, but that's it. That's what he produces, and he was mostly playing his own music. And he just released a track that I um, that I actually like. It's a it's a little bit uh, it's a kind of a little bit aggressive, really. Uh, it's like almost punk rock electronic music. I wouldn't even describe it like that. Um, his name is Martin Herger, and the track is called. But it's a, uh, but I like it. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that track into the. That's nice. It's gonna clash quite a bit. It's yeah. Should be funny. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but that, I find I find that uh, actually interesting to, to put those things in and just create this uh, context around the people of the podcast. Yeah. So so that's it then. Um, where can where can the, f the the listeners find you on the web if they want to find out more about you or ask uh, you things? I guess uh, Twitter. Um, my nickname is uh, at Elise underscore uh, Huard, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I have a blog as well. Um, and and uh, which is uh, Jabberwocky dot um eu mm -hmm. and uh and obviously uh yeah i think those are those are the main the main uh the main contact points cool so i want to thank everybody for listening um you can find all the show notes for this episode on descriptive.audio slash episodes slash nine if you have any feedback or guest requests hit me up on twitter at descriptive pod or use the feedback form on the website elise thank you very much for your time my pleasure Hey listeners, um, I just wanted to say if you enjoy the show and you want to help promote the show, please go to iTunes and rate the show, which would be very helpful, or just share it on Twitter, um, blog about it, podcast about it. Thanks. <laughs>